Podcast for the working cowboy. Well, howdy there, daylight burners. <clears throat> Happy Monday. Got a pretty interesting episode for you today. I uh, I meant to record this last night, but the more I got into my research, the more I figured I probably better take a little closer look at what we're talking about and. You know, I uh, here in the U.S. we have a tendency. I don't know if it's the same way uh, around the world. If uh, I bet France is kind of similar to us, uh, you know, French are kind of known to be sort of arrogant people, um, and that's kind of the uh, it's one of the labels we've got as Americans uh, from you know people overseas and. Um, Right or wrong, um, I'm not gonna comment one way or the other. That's just that's not it's not really a debate. That's how a lot of a lot of foreigners see us. But um, we have a tendency to focus on history here. Like you know, history for us started at 1776, um, and uh, yeah, so. Anyway, I, I think when you when you start looking at these deals, and in, in particular the the meat packing industry is, is one thing um, that it's it's really interesting because it's always been kind of a, an, an industry dominated by poor immigrant labor, um, but it has has its origins going way back. I mean, essentially since people have been domesticating animals for meat production. Um, and um, anytime there's been some sort of urban center, there's there has to be people that feed the the urban center. You know, the, the farmers, ranchers, sheep herders, <laughs> you know, whatever it may be. Um, now there's certain societies that they don't. I don't necessarily know they have uh, like a meat packing industry, but they still eat meat. I mean, you can if you look at like the the Afghan uh, countryside it's, uh, essentially just a bunch of like tribes and they're kind of nomadic and <laughs> sheep herders and <coughs> hunter gatherer types. And, and so there's always been a need ever since humans started eating meat. Um, so since the beginning of time, um, there's always been a need for uh, somebody to kill dress and butcher uh an animal for for human consumption and i i guess the first um they, they say it started in like the history of butchery as i'm reading an article here and this is from um delanceyplace.com i guess i can go ahead and pop it up on the on the screen but you know there's a 
Oh, now I gotta. Yeah. Yeah. Alright. Now, now we should be good. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm gonna try to share the screen with you, but um there we go. What the heck? Well, maybe I won't be popping up on the screen, so I'll just read from it and you'll have to believe me, but it's from DelanceyPlace.com. I'm having a real boomer moment with my uh, technology here lately. Um, meat only became uh, part of man's diet 800,000 years ago, while the origin of our species is dated back uh, almost 2.25 million. Butchery as we know it today had its beginnings in ancient Rome. Uh, in addition to fine wine and sewage systems, we also have the Romans to thank for the way they practiced butchery across the empire, with archaeological evidence showing us that they introduced the first cleavers and large slabs of wood similar to what we'd now call a block, butcher block. As populations increased with the size of the Roman Empire, so did the need for farming and cultivation of livestock for meat, leading to the beginning of what we would now uh, recognize as wholesale farmers who supplied animals directly to early butchers. Uh, these butchers were called carnifexes, uh, a word that would soon become associated with Roman murderers and executioners, and they sold their wares from wooden carts uh, beneath a, a cotton canopy. Um, oh, I'll keep on going here. Many carnifexes dealt in a wide array of meat, while others were specialists selling only bone marrow or hooves. The divides in Roman society saw the meatier cuts at the very beginning of what we now classify as prime cuts go to the rich and the cheaper, less desirable to the poor. That's also been a, a case uh, all the way up to today. <clears throat> the Romans were also pioneers of the nose-to-tail butchery, which may be uh, trendy now, but began in the early first century. Um, originally, nose-to-tail was necessary for feeding an ever-expanding population. Nose-to-tail includes the offal, uh, um, the, the, <coughs> the entrails, the and the organs of, a, of an animal, uh, bright, plump, plump livers, tough and flavorful hearts, and even soft, spongy kidneys. Um, and then it goes on to so the U.S. In the U.S., the supply chain historically began in localized rural areas, with Chicago becoming the headquarters of the American uh, meat industry by 1865, when the Union Stockyard and Transit Company was built on more than and 350 acres uh, of downtown Chicago by a group of railroad companies. The yards was split into two sections, one sec section that sold livestock uh, all of Smithfield, and the other was built for processing of carcasses. Uh, for more than a century, this was the central hub of meat proce processing in the U.S. as farmers from all over the country shipped their cattle, sheep, and hogs to be sold and slaughtered on site. So we went from essentially like a family or a tribe. Um, well, think of it a lot like the, the native Americans, you know, when they, they, they went on a hunt, they, however, they, they hunted their Buffalo, whether they're shooting with arrows or whether they're running them off a cliff or, or, uh, and, and later on with, with rifles, they, um, they'd go on a hunt, they'd kill their Buffalo. And then it was, uh, the whole tribe partook in the, in the harvesting of it so you had the, you'd have the warriors and the hunters that would go go kill it and then the whole everybody jumped in you skinned it out and 
<clears throat> so, I mean, we don't even have to go back to Rome to talk about to the nose to tail uh, use of of an animal. We could stay right here in America and and go go back even further. Well, I guess not even further, but like go back a long damn ways with with the Native American uh, killing killing the buffalo and harvesting and using literally every part of it. To I mean, the blood was was saved. They um, you know they they drank it. They just many different uses for it. Uh, the hides, obviously. Uh, <coughs> The sinew, the guts, all of it. I mean, the first thing they they did was uh, was cut out the liver and and eat it there on the spot. You know, eat it raw, squirt a little, um, <coughs> squirt a little gallbladder bile on it, and uh, and and yeah, that the animal was harvested and it was used to to its fullest extent. Um, the Romans are the ones that I guess first kind of commercialized it and made it an occupation rather than. Um, and I still I don't I don't buy that the Romans were that were the first ones to do it because every, every, there were cities far before before Rome and <clears throat> and uh, far newer than you know go to, go back to ancient Egypt and uh, I bet you there was somebody there that his job was a uh, was a butcher uh, <clears throat> and I, I just I think it's one of those jobs that's always been there it's always will be there it's kind of like um, the herder you know, whether it be a cowboy or a sheep herder, uh, goat herder, there's always been a human to watch over your, your animals, your, your herd, your flock. Um, and that, that, I don't see how, I don't see that changing anytime soon. I mean, you might be able to babysit them a little, a uh, little more at arm's length when, you know, with like drone technology and stuff, but either way, there's, there always has been. And from, from how I see it, there always will be somebody that takes care of, animals uh like that just like there's gonna be somebody who whose job is to kill that animal and uh, break its body down into into cuts for of, of meat and uh and with that there's always going to be <coughs> somebody who processes the byproducts takes the, the hides takes the the entrails the uh, the bones and everything just uh we're, we're a pretty industrious people like that you know like People get lazy, but um, when it comes to making money like that, those Packers are really good at squeezing every every little uh, bit of, of money and and product they can out of an animal. I mean, it's uh, I'm I'm rereading um, Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, which uh, you you have to. Oh, we'll, we'll get to that, but. Um, one of the lines in there and it's kind of a common line throughout the like the pork industry is just like they 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 use everything of the pig pig but the squeal and <coughs> it's um and it's and it's pretty true but it's funny we went from kind of your your local clan leader tribe chieftain uh head of the family whatever um would would usually be i i guess just depending on the culture but you just have <clears throat> you had a very small, small uh, group of people, and then you'd, you'd you didn't need a ton of uh, of meat. You know, you, you'd uh, you'd shoot shoot your your animal or kill it how, however you did it, and and if it was a big enough animal, say like a deer or something like that, that was meat enough to last you for a little while. Um, the problem with meat is it spoils real quick, um, and so until the you know the invention of uh, refrigerated um, 
refrigeration of meat, there's um, the meat packing industry has always been kind of kind of seasonal because um, you you wanted to do it in the cold winter so you were able able to preserve the meat for as long as possible without <laughs> without you know like smoking it or, or curing it or something like that. Um, so anyway, I, I going back to Rome. I, this article says that that you know Romans invented butchery, but I I have a hard time buying that. Um, they they might be the first credited with it, but I, I just I think there's always been ever since there's been like urban centers, uh, there's had to have had been somebody. Uh, but I mean, they had they had markets, open air markets, kind of like going to Chinatown in New York now or uh, or like the wet markets in China or the bazaars in the Middle East and it's <laughs> you know it's they they still live um though those people in those cities they still live a lot like their their ancestors did where it was just it's it's one it's it's a like it's just like Think of think of the markets as as a whole. You know, like you have your energy market, you have your cattle market, you have your corn market. Um, in a bazaar or a wet market, like you have just the market, and it's got all of that shit thrown in, <laughs> and and people are haggling back and forth, and uh, and it, it's a messy place. But there there was all there's always whether they're live animals or cuts of meat hanging in those, and I'm sure that there were back in the day too, and. And so I, I just, like I said, it's maybe the, the Romans get credit for it, but I, it seems like I, I don't, I don't buy it quite so much. So, um, but they, they were kind of one they they did it a different way. It seems like maybe, or at least they, they were the first one to use this technology, like a cleaver and a, and a butcher block <laughs> rather than, you know, like the, you know, like the middle Eastern guys were, uh, you know, you'd you'd have it on a spit or whatever, and then you just you just cut pieces of it off as you go, and there there wasn't much need for a block that way. And so, <laughs> I guess maybe it was the it was the Romans that kind of maybe pioneered like the the different cuts, I guess, and rather than just like cutting off chunks of meat. Um, you know, like you, you could, I guess you could always tell me like, well, give me some of that part. You know, like say it's a whole hog or something like, I oh, know I want, I want some of the loin and the, and the shoulder. I don't really want the hams, but, uh, <laughs> you were, you were essentially just buying however much meat and, and I guess they just slice it off the, the animal right there. And then the Romans turned to cut, uh, putting it into cuts and, you know, like the Italians are, are, are well known for, for having great steak it's uh if you think about like the different places throughout the country that are, are known to have like an excellent steak they're all <laughs> they're all either in cattle country or or they're in cities that are, used to be like packing plant hubs so like chicago's got some some excellent steakhouses fort worth has some excellent steakhouses uh, new york city boston they uh they all had these uh these thriving packing plants that, uh, <clears throat> and, and then of course in, in England too, they were known for raising the, some of the best cattle, uh, and the best quality meat, which they then boiled to oblivion and 
you know, the, does she have shitty British cuisine? Um, but that's that's not of. I mean, it, it is of historical fact, but it's also um, opinion based. In my opinion, <laughs> they, it's it's just funny that that old saying, like the the Brits conquered the entire world to to gather up all the spices, only to use none of it in their food. <clears throat> and yeah, like, and I guess it it, it comes. Uh, it comes from just how how they they cook over there. You know, it's a it's a cold, damp place, uh, always raining. So like they made a lot of soups and uh, like like thick stew type stuff. And I don't know, it, but they had they always they were known for the best uh, the best best meat uh, beef, anyways. Until America imported some Herefords, and uh, and <clears throat> I don't know when they they imported Angus, but. Uh, until America started importing um, cattle that were bred for for uh, meat meat consumption, that are like specifically for that, then then we overtook England real quick, like because uh, we're America, fuck yeah. <clears throat> and so anyway, we uh, you go. The, the Romans took this method of with the cleaver and the block and, and the breaking down into individual cuts. Um, at least I, I don't, I don't rudimentally, um, rudimentary, uh, cuts anyways. I don't know if they, I don't know. The Romans were pretty advanced, so it, it all, but it just spread throughout Europe like that where, and then whenever there would be a city that, that would spring up, there would be, people there to to feed them and that that has always been the case always will be the case i mean it gets a little more decentralized nowadays but we're we're talking the origins here it was always where people moved and and clustered and grew there was a an increased demand for food uh, and then <coughs> later you'd have You'd have people that would specialize. They'd drive cattle to a certain <clears throat> certain area outside that that urban center, and uh, you know, start their cow herd there. And they would drive them into the city to the butcher, and the butcher would sell the meat <clears throat> to the to the residents of residents of the city. So for a very long time, it, you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of weird in in throughout history. You don't hear a whole lot about like the the urban versus rural divide in uh, in like ancient history um but i'm i uh, i would i would bet that it was there just cuz the same it's always the case where like there's people that live out on the <laughs> out in the out in the country and they uh they raise you know either either you know farm they farm and, and raise crops to to harvest and sell or they <clears throat> or they raise animals to butcher and sell, and and then there's the people in the in the city that need that food, but they they're not involved with uh, the harvesting of it and and the growing and the harvesting. So it's uh, I think that all always that divide has been there uh, to to a certain extent, but with the Romans comes like the kind of the early cattle ranchers and you know like the Spaniards in particular. We're, we're always known for for great horses and being being good with cattle that's where the whole american american cowboy originated from like spain morocco area uh 
<laughs> um, I've heard in cattle a horseback. And with with all of that, they uh, you you see the rise of this industry, the butcher, and you also see from the very get go, it was not a real desirable, is not a not a glamorous uh, profession at all, and then later became synonymous with uh, like a murderer. Or uh, what they say the other one was like murderer or mm, carnifex, carnifex. Um, I can't remember. Um, oh, with Roman murderers and exec- executioners too. So yeah, if they, if you were the executioner, you, you'd be called a carnifex, same way the murderer. Um, and then as you see, uh, like we'll uh, we'll pop over to America. So you have uh, yeah, here we go, William Pinchon. Um talked a a little bit about him uh earlier in the earlier episode but he he created what was known as like the first packing house in in the united states and (coughs) being being as early 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 united states it was like 16 um 1636 is when he founded Agawam, um, and it was it was later called uh, later named Springfield because that was a place he was born in um, in England, I guess. But he uh, <clears throat> he was a fur trader, and by all means, like a pretty pretty excellent businessman. And I would, I would imagine, imagine he was a, he was, um, it seemed to be that he was, uh, he was kind of like a Brigham Young type fella when it came to the Indians. Like, I don't know if he, uh, maybe he might've been a little bit more friendly to him, but by and large, they, they kind of went out of their way to try to, to make, make friends with, uh, with the, the local Indian population. And, uh, and it, and it pissed off some of the other colonies. So there was, uh, it was right on the edge of Connecticut and Massachusetts, which um, is I don't I don't know where exactly where that's at. I I've been through through those states before, but uh, looking at them on a map, I, I couldn't tell you. They're so small that it's hard to see on see them on the regular American uh, map of America. But um, yeah, and then when you zoom in, I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. I can. I know the geography of of uh, basically everything outside of New England pretty well, like shape wise. But New England, not so much. Um, New York's easy because it's it's a pretty big state for that part of the the country. But um, anyhow, he was on the border of Connecticut and Massachusetts, and he set up to at a good spot where there was water and. Um, it was a spot where they would have to move overland to, to go from a, a large river to to another large river. The the, <laughs> the rivers right there were were a little too small to cross, and and so he said a it was a good good thoroughfare where people had to move their stuff uh, overland, and uh, so it became a, a hub for 
trading furs up in in Boston or or wherever it was uh, like it was a good middle point. And with that, he also uh, started um, ship shipping cattle to to the East Indies uh, or West Indies, and then um, and also uh, canned canned pork. He, uh, I read some article and I can't find it now, but he he found some uh, some way of I think it was uh, I think it was salt salt pork is what he was he was sending. So they they just stuff the pork in the in these barrels and just salt the hell out of it or smoke it and then or probably both. Um, <coughs> it's um. Uh, Anyway, it was uh, that was that was like the first established um, packing house in in the United States, and I and imagine it was uh, it was a pretty small scale operation. Uh, if I would, if um, if I was to guess, you know, it, there weren't that just weren't that many people um, uh, in the United States at that point. Like there there was there was the Native Americans, but they didn't need our salt pork. They they. They had their own way of getting getting things, you know. They they did their they had their own shit going on, um, but as far as the the settlers and the the colonists there, they they were pretty few and far between that, that early on, you know. They, there's not a not a ton of people, but as as always, as more people came over and and people started to die a little bit less as they came over. And uh, and then they brought over the diseases that well, the Native Americans were completely, in, you know, just naive to. Their their immune system had no idea what the fuck. Um, estimated like ninety percent of the population was wiped out. But with that, like European <laughs> settlers came over in just swarms, and uh, just more and more all the time. And they kept pushing west and the further west they pushed they would pop up another urban center and cincinnati was another one where it, it popped up it's on on the river and it's kind of the <laughs> it's kind of the gateway from like the the agricultural midwest to the to the mining country of appalachia and uh and they they set up a packing plant there killing hogs and and they were able to find a way to cure and pot the meat, and they the they started. Um, we'll go pull up porkopolis that or porkopolis. That's that's what they called uh, Cincinnati back in the day. I don't know. If, <clears throat> I don't know if they uh, um, if they still kind of go by that or not. I I don't know much about Cincinnati, but porkopolis. Um, I don't want to see the review of the book. I want to, I just want to read an article about it. Hmm. Anyhow, um, just because of the location on, on the Ohio, I think it's the Ohio river. Um, just they've made it a perfect spot for, for the, 
for the the meat packing industry to thrive right there it was uh, uh the people back east wanted the meat the country as a whole um was becoming more and more industrialized as uh <clears throat> with the <coughs> invention of the cotton gin and and as the the industrial processes that they they had going on over in england <coughs> were were getting transferred over over to the united states the cities in the east grew bigger and more crowded and they had a, a bigger demand for meat um through different wars we had a higher increased demand for meat because as as you raise an army and this is one thing that we are eh, I, I won't get into well we can go ahead and because it, it, it all plays in but the united states never really had a standing army until um till world war uh kind of kind of between world war one and world war two but it was uh it was a, like not nearly as, as big as it was uh during during world war one but they it also wasn't like after uh after the civil war where like the state militias just went home and you know so each side in the civil war the states raised their own militias and and that that made up the the you know the union and the confederate armies they uh there 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 was the Union Army, but they were all made up of of regiments from different states. You know, it was like the seventy fifth, you know, Virginia Mounted Cavalry or something like that. And <laughs> even though they were part of the the Confederate Army, it was you know it was this this unit. And so you had like the fifteenth Ohio um, on on the the Union side, and that they were all part of the Union Army. Whereas now we have just the consolidated branches and then we have national guards by state but the the point being is like your national guard is uh like two week or a weekend a weekend a month two weeks a year that was their kind of their slogan for the army national guard and and so it's not not a standing standing army the national guard's not <laughs> whereas the the u.s u.s army is is now like it hasn't i mean even after the civil war there there was the indian wars but you you had you had a pretty small military um once once the war stopped the 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 military shrank pretty dramatically and and the provisions were were not nearly as extensive that they needed um but uh, as as the uh, soldiers went home a lot of times they'd go they'd go to the city looking for work um particularly in the after the civil war you know there was after after the southerners went went home after the after the the war ended i mean the south was devastated just devastated um <coughs> the you know the sherman sherman's march to the sea where they just burnt everything to the ground they killed off all the, the livestock and just broke the back of the of the south and so a lot of them migrated west um and and started you know they took cowboy jobs they 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 took mining jobs they took scouting jobs some of them stayed in the army and and went to to fight the indians and with that everywhere there was a new fort there was always somebody pushing beef up there to it kit carson was or uh kit carson did it did it before and then uh, charlie goodnight um all of the loving that part of what they did was uh, they drove they drove cattle to Ben's fort and the the whole 
the whole meat packing industry from there. I mean, you had a, you had a butcher at the, at the forts and then, you know, and then you had all these, these kind of frontier outposts that eventually grew into to major cities, you know? So you had like Cincinnati became a pretty major city. It's not, it's a smaller scale now, but Chicago was, uh, is, well, it's the third, I think the third largest city in the U S and, uh, that was built on, on meat packing and <clears throat> further west you go kansas city omaha fort worth um and then you know you had all through the south you had smaller smaller scale stuff like that as well um on the beef side of things but the on the pork uh the pork um it, it was uh it was really regional too i'm uh, not regional but um seasonal uh particularly with uh with like the hogs, they, they, they butchered them in the, in the fall. And because pork is a little easier to, uh, to preserve, you know, by, by smoking and salt pork and curing, curing and potting and, and all, all of those methods, it's, it was a little easier to, <laughs> to be able to, uh, to preserve hogs, but they, and they, they typically killed them in the, in, in the, in the fall and winter so they could uh they could keep them keep them cool throughout throughout the winter months and then cattle was kind of it was just cyclical you know they uh it, beef was a lot harder to harder to preserve unless you just turned it into jerky but i mean like even even like your typical smoked um meat uh smoked beef isn't going to last near as long as as say like a a cured smoked ham it's uh <laughs> you know just lasts longer and and so beef was was eaten pretty well fresh and 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 so there there was always some sort of um like the there there was some sort of uh beef packing industry throughout all these all this and and it was more just like local butchers more than anything and then then as these these centers grew, then you you got the butchers got bigger, and then you, they hired more people, and we eventually uh, <clears throat> there was there was a lot of of immigrant labor coming. Not only um, like some of these these early American meat packers, they went over and brought skilled laborers from Germany and and the Slavic country, uh, countries to to come over and, and work these packing plants because they were they were butchers by trade and they knew what they were doing and they were they were very good at it they were very skilled workers and <clears throat> they, they were kind of like the first wave of uh, packing plant workers hey look i know you're you're enjoying this show that we're you know that we're balls deep in here but I got to pay some bills around here, and this company, Bubs Naturals, they are helping me do so. And they also sell a lot of good stuff. So you go to bubsnaturals.com. It's named after Glenn Bub Doherty, uh, who was a he was a special operator, CIA guy. Uh, was one of the one of the guys that was killed in, during the Benghazi raid. Uh, his best friend started up this company, kind of in honor of him. They're both. Uh, very active guys and they wanted just good clean supplements and that's what these are uh, i take the the collagen in my coffee 
along with MCT oil. It's a powder. Uh, kind of very, very slightly sweet. Um, like very faint sweet taste to it, but also got a kind of a creamy texture. It's good stuff. They also have coffee now. I haven't tried it yet. Uh, might have to. And um, looks like maybe they got some uh, some like Gatorade type mix, but uh, it's all it's all good clean stuff. Uh, apple cider vinegar gummies, which are awesome. Apple cider vinegar is great for you. Uh, collagen supposed to. Uh, what what do they say on this? Let's let's take a look. Um, it fuels the body while replenishing with replenishing amino acids that turn back the clock on an aging. Um, and it's uh, it's supposed to be good for your skin and your joints and uh, your hair, your nails, all. All the good stuff. Um, it's, yeah, just a scoop in your coffee. It's flavorless. Don't taste it at all. And uh, and it's just uh, it's good for inflammation and all sorts of good stuff. Um, all in all, these guys pay me pretty well when you guys buy stuff. So please do, and I, I highly recommend their products. Uh, I Like I said, I, I take them every day. Got this stuff on order. Um, got this stuff on order, and uh, and the gummies I've got coming every every couple of weeks. Uh, help me kind of stay halfway young. I know my hair doesn't look it, but I'm I'm not that old yet. So uh, and I want to be able to to wrestle around with my kids and beat them for a long time yet. So um, like I want to dominate them so they know that I'm I'm the alpha. And uh, so I'm doing all all I can to <coughs> to kind of help <coughs> stay one step ahead of those little fuckers and bubs naturals uh does it for me <clears throat> helps helps get me there so anyways go to bubsnaturals.com use the promo code burning daylight that's all one word uh you'll get 20 percent off uh your order and i will get a commission on that so uh thanks to bubs naturals go check out their stuff i think you'll like it and uh i know i do so, uh, bubsnaturals.com, promo code burning daylight for 20%. Now, we can go ahead, get back in to the show. Howdy there. I'm Matt McKinley with the Burning Daylight Podcast. If you ever wanted to make a podcast, well, Spotify's got a platform that, makes, that lets you make one super easily. And then you can distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free called spotify for for podcasters and here's how it works spotify for podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from the phone or computer uh so no matter what uh your setup was like you can uh start creating today then you can distribute your podcast to spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard Video podcasts are also available on Spotify, and uh, if you like my show, Fence Post Politics, with my buddy Aaron, that's the place to watch it, because it's all video all the time, and we uh, like we share videos, we comment on videos, we share news articles, and, uh, and funny memes, so um, it's pretty cool. Um, and also, if you want to take your conversations to, uh, with your fans to the next level, uh, your question and answer answer and polls are the best way to get them talking you can attach that to your your podcast there and, and you get your you get you know valuable interactions with your fan your fans and uh <clears throat> with spotify for podcasters you can earn money in a variety of ways including ads and podcast subscriptions 
And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. And that's, uh, that, that is true. Um, <laughs> supposed to do a testimonial here. Um, but anyways, this is the, the podcast I use or the podcast, uh, host that I use. I like Spotify. They're, uh, they're very good on just letting you do your thing, uh, with, uh, with no catch to it. Uh, there's a good reason why Joe Rogan hosts podcasts on Spotify. And, and this is uh, this is a great way to get started. If you, if you have ever thought about starting a podcast, this is where I would send anybody to go. Um, <coughs> best thing you can do is just download the Spotify for podcasters app, or you can go to spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. And yeah, if you've ever thought about, just doing a podcast or if you're tired of paying a monthly service that uh, doesn't seem to do much for you, Spotify podcasters is your spot. So uh, go to spotify.com slash podcasters or download the app today. And then as they, uh, as industrialization just further increased and, and uh, technology increased and they were able to, to um, form this, what they called the de-assembly line, where they you just move the car, the you know the the side of beef on down the way, and you had the guys that would bone it out. You had uh, you had just different different stations, and the more and more it became what kind of what we know now, it's uh, the, the 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 less skilled the <laughs> the the laborers were that that they got, and. <coughs> If you uh, if you, if you read up, Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, I it's, I I do highly recommend it. He's a very much a, like a very he was an avid socialist, and and that was kind of <laughs> his uh, his famous quote is he uh, he was trying to essentially get the get through the message of uh, the wonders of socialism through this book. Um, but instead, he just kind of grossed out the the country about <laughs> how the the meat, the their meat that they were buying, uh, and the process that went to, through it. They were horrified by it. So he he had a quote. He said, "I I try to I try to hit America in the heart, but I missed. And I hit him in the stomach." And and so he describes some of the just just the horror show that <laughs> some of those early meat packing plants were. Um, but essentially there you know like chicago is where this one takes place and you could uh you could go down to any one of the packers and uh in in the stockyards area and uh if you didn't have a job you just wait outside and the, and the foreman would kind of look over the gate and if they saw a big strapping dude they'd like mm, all right come on in and then they just it was uh it was a anytime you get into one of these these big kind of mechanized industrialized situations the turnover rate on on your employees is just like through the roof i mean it's just constant turnover whether it's whether it's feedlots uh, like auto plants meat packing plants um like the the railroads same same way it's a <clears throat> constant turnover and but america being the place that you know kind of the the last kind of frontier on earth um and we had this uh this 
new idea of individual liberty um, that didn't really exist really anywhere else in the world. People flocked here and they were, they were just like this, this guy, uh, Jurgis that he, uh, the main character in the book is from Lithuania and doesn't speak a lick of English, doesn't really speak German. And, uh, they don't know what it is they're doing, but he was a big strapping dude and he only had to wait outside the gate for about 30 minutes before he got a job. And he was, uh, he was the guy that shoveled the guts on the kill floor. So <laughs> they did. And it was pretty brutal back in those days where they just run him into kind of a stall. And then you'd have a guy with a sledgehammer, just blast him in the forehead uh, and hopefully you got them in one one foul swoop, and then they would, uh, you know, then they would before he <laughs> before the steer would would get back up, they would uh, hook a chain on him and uh, drag him up, slit his throat, and uh, you know, out the guts there. And then there was this poor Jurgis fellow that would go over there with a shovel and just shove it down this grate where they uh, the offal would fall down there, and they would uh, there was a different part of the they'd either go to a different um plant or or they they would uh do whatever they did with the the entrails and the and and the different the different intestines and stuff that uh whatever they they used it for like i mean it it just dropped through a little grate in the floor and then and but sometimes they wouldn't get the the steer stunned uh, correctly and he would uh, get on the fight and they're, <laughs> you know, they just get some poor, poor fucking Lithuanian immigrant that's been here for, you know, 30 days. It just gets absolutely bulldozed <laughs> by a half mad steer. And, uh, and then there's no, there's no health insurance. So they, uh, that guy just uh, pretty well out of a job. And uh, once he gets healed up, he has to go, start all over again it might have he might have been a guy that he had to wait for you know two weeks before he got he got a you know got a chance at a job and uh and now like um you gotta start all over and they were making like 15 cents a day or some shit like that really wild situation but it all it all follows just the flow of people it all always whether it was you know and then we can go back to to this to the Revolutionary War, where Boston became, <clears throat> you know, just the uh, the meatpacking center of the United States, uh, particularly beef, um, and that all had to do with uh, you know a contract with the army to provide uh, so many so many pounds of beef to to feed this Revolutionary Army, which again was a bunch of farmers that formed militias and and then made up the ranks of the the revolution that you know the american army and all those farmers no longer were farming they, they were fighting and so before that they didn't they worried about their own food but now they're in they're in the army and the army's got to feed them and uh the, so somebody's got to got to find that food to, to give to him. And this, uh, this fella in, in Boston that started, uh, <coughs> you know, he, he saw the need for it. And it's the same way with this, um, what was his name? Um, William Pinchon, Pinchon. Yeah. There was uh there was a need for, 
for beef and uh and salt pork in in the west indies so he he started uh you know packing it up himself and and shipping it over there and and it, it turned out to be very profitable for him the same way with the the fella in boston he he signed a contract with with the revolutionary army to for for cattle same the first cattle drive in 1779 it was the the spaniards uh trying to help kick kick the brits out and i still don't know if they ever got any of those cattle to to where they intended to go but they at least uh, tried anyways but and then along in the in the um the civil war there were spots on along the coast of uh of texas that <laughs> that were also um same way they the they were sending beef to the confederate army and you had uh what what little men were left in texas at the time they would they would drive some cattle to <laughs> to the coast there and they would uh there were early but uh packing plants there that would that would uh it was a lot of a lot of gross shit they did back then but they didn't know any better it was uh it was trying to trying to preserve meat is is was the name of the game and refrigeration was essentially non-existent there there was a few attempts uh early on but it really wasn't till like 1870 with uh i, th- I think it was a um gus uh gustavus swift so um gustavus franklin swift Born in West San- Sandwich, now Sagamore, Massachusetts. Um, he was the founder of meatpacking company Swift, uh, and the promoter of the railroad road refrigerator car for shipping meat. Um, so this is the guy that really changed the game. So there was there was ways to <coughs> there there was ways to 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 go about preserving you know that potting pickling um curing of of all these different meats but um as far as like the steak cuts i mean those had to be eaten just damn near immediately because there was no way to without like jerking it um or 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 smoking it you know like that this this was a fresh product and you had to you had to move it pretty quickly it had to be or go bad and uh, not that stopped those packers much. They they used everything they could and uh, and everything that was allowed. And there was a lot of shit allowed. <laughs> it was kind of kind of was open open season. Um. So, uh, butcher's helper at the age of fourteen, Swift became a buyer and slaughterer of cattle in eighteen fifty nine, and also opened a butcher shop in Eastham, Massachusetts. He became the partner of James A. Hathaway, a Boston meat dealer, in 1872. Three years later, Swift uh, was he was a cattle buyer for the firm, transferred his headquarters to Chicago, where the center of the, the cattle market shifted. Swift felt that meat packing would be more profitable than meat selling if a method could be devised for shipping fresh meat from Chicago to the east and send, instead of sending live cattle to be slaughtered on arrival, as was the custom. So you imagine being being a steer back in the like you're a texas longhorn which they 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 bred specifically the longhorn because they were tough and they traveled out and they can make these long drives without um 
with minimal uh, death loss in, anyway. So it was, uh, say you're, you're driving from somewhere like the, the Texas, Arkansas, that Texarkana area, and you're, they're driving you all the way up to Chicago where some of them are going to get slaughtered there to, to feed the people living right there in Chicago. But the rest of them are going to be loaded on a train and shipped back to Boston and New York city and Philadelphia <coughs> to be slaughtered there. And that's where like the early, early kind of industrialized meat packing plants were. And, but once again, there wasn't a lot of, uh, there wasn't much refrigeration at all. They had a way of, of putting ice, um, like making an ice box, but it was, um, it was still, it was, it was, um, it was very much a fresh meat industry. Um, so he, he hired an engineer to design a refrigerator car. The, the finished design circulated fresh air that was chilled by passing, uh, passing it over ice. And in 1877, shift, uh, Swift successfully shipped the first refrigerator carload of fresh meat to the east. And soon afterwards, he left uh, his partner and um, he, uh, perform or he formed a partnership with his brother. Uh, <coughs> and then he made it a, a corporation in 1885. And, uh, and then later on, he would join up with a bunch of what they called the Big Five. And it was uh, Nelson Morris, uh, Philip Armore. Um, I forget who the others. Um, yeah, they, they, called, they called themselves the National uh, Packing Company or, or the Beef Trust. And, um, and they dominated the entire meat packing industry in the united states it was uh funny though it's not nearly they weren't nearly as centralized as we are today but well that's that's another another um <coughs> another topic um but as you can see as as the population expanded and uh, and grew there, there pops up these little little towns, which later grow into pretty big towns, and uh, and in the case of Chicago and Kansas City, like uh, pretty major metropolis areas, and <laughs> Denver as well. Denver was um was was also an early packing town, and I don't know, I don't think they have many. There's like some dog food plants and and stuff around Denver, but I I, I think yeah, Greeley, yeah, they. That that's a whole the we'll have to go off on a on another episode for, but I want to spend on the, the next episode a little bit more on um, the pre like the beef trust era, and and go a little more into we'll we'll read some segments from uh, from up in Sinclair, and uh, and go into like just. Um, just how ugly of a business it was, particularly early on. I mean, it was. <clears throat> it's 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 never <clears throat> it's never been a, a glamorous industry, but when when you take a um, an already kind of dirty, um, not romantic uh, profession, and then you add um, industrial, you know, gilded age um, giants who who were uh, making 
they were building, you know, the industrial base of America, but, um, and using not a whole lot of good ethical, um, methods to, to do so. It, uh, it led to, to some, some really nasty shit. And, <clears throat> and it's, it's worth, uh, it's worth kind of diving in. And it's, it's, it's one of the, the industries that really gave socialism its start. It, um, just the, the industrial age in general, it was uh, the the sheer terrible working conditions and awful pay and the exploitation of the the people that that worked in these these industrial um, mar, uh, industries, you know, industrial industries that you know in these factory type, uh, whether factories or packing plants or coal mines, um, they. Um, I mean, that just just the sheer exploitation of these people. Uh, it really, it, it's not real hard to see why they be, became um, not so not so big of fans of capitalism. You know, <laughs> it's uh, it's not too hard to understand why they they turned to socialism. I mean, like I said, um, looking back through some of that stuff, I. Had I lived in that same time period, I I I don't know if I would have been, but I could see myself being a lot more predisposed towards uh, socialism. However, I've got about 150 years worth of uh, historical knowledge uh, on the, those people, so um, yeah, I see that shit doesn't doesn't end well. So I am gladly not now, but I could see I could see how a guy would be. Be, be turned on by socialism back in, in those days. So, um, and it's, uh, it's really, really the meatpacking industry is what, what really paved the way for a lot of, a lot of, uh, legislative reform, uh, to these, these major, major industries. And it's, whether it was good or not, I think um, I think like most regulation, um, it w- had very good intentions. It was it simply was to protect the the quality of uh, <coughs> of the the food that people were were buying um, and uh, keep these you know these corporate giants from you know just getting away with murder. Literally, in a lot of cases, it was. Uh, that there was cases where um, I forget which packer it was, but probably all of them at, at one point or another shipped a whole bunch of tainted meat to the American soldiers over in the Spanish American war uh, over on Cuba. And a bunch of them got sick and a bunch of them died. <clears throat> and then, then you have this, uh, this muckraking uh, author, right? This, uh, this horrifying book about the the plight of the you know the the foreign immigrant uh that's just dirt beyond like less than dirt poor uh coming from from europe and and just to just uh not a great life in in these uh these packing towns and it's uh like i said it's it was the the industry that really kicked off the a lot of reforms that, that led to a huge um, swell in union membership and 
and really kind of turn the tide on uh, the public image of of some of these uh, these meat packing giants. Not that they were always very well thought of because they well it's a nasty industry it's a, a live animal then it's a dead animal and then there's all the all the stuff that goes with that animal the the piss the shit the blood the guts the hide and uh most of them were on the on the outskirts of town that's where they made them stay because they uh they didn't the city folk didn't want that that stank up in here you know and <clears throat> so the that that was I, I would imagine the yards are on the south side of Chicago where it's typically been a rough area. Um, but it always has been. Dodge City, Kansas was a shithole back in the day. It's a shithole today with two packing plants. It's uh uh it's a flood of uh of poor immigrant labor uh doing uh but now they, they make pretty good money. Um but anyways I'm rambling now, but I think I think I've got a pretty good like we're we're getting closer to some like some really cool, interesting um, episodes, particularly on this this next one, and then um, as we as we get into the moral bird, how they they disperse these uh, these packing giants and how they slowly but surely like new ones would pop up and they would integrate, and now that we've got where. <coughs> You have a, a, a poultry industry that is like completely vertically integrated. You got a hog industry that's completely vertically integrated, and a, and a beef industry that's all but, um, all but vertically integrated. You know, and it's uh, it's kind of the last holdout, and and we're seeing a lot of the same same issues we've always seen with uh, with these uh, meat packing giants, uh, labor issues. Um, ranchers and and uh, <coughs> and feedlots um kind of getting the, the raw end of the deal while the the packing giant makes uh, record outrageous profits I, well i wouldn't i don't know if there's any profit that's outrageous outrageous for me but the some of the way they handle their business and the and price fixing and and collusion and it's it's a it's a pretty common theme throughout throughout the the animal agriculture industry it's uh <laughs> it's it's and it's been been that way for quite quite some time and the 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 packing giants are consistently right at the center of it so it's um so it's a gonna be a couple really good ones coming up but i, I think just to set the stage where you, you have this booming new nation um I, I'm I'm gonna try to look at some of the like the the British packing industry as well um, during that time maybe 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 some European stuff but I <clears throat> particularly England because they they really industrialized pretty quick and and I, I just I wonder I wonder what that was like over there if they had the same kind of I would imagine so the same kind of issues with their packing uh, industry. And, but then particularly in America, it just, as the, the, the advent of the railroad and then the refrigerated rail car, who the, <clears throat> this uh, Swift guy, he actually, um, he actually ended up buying the cars themselves because the, 
the railroad said they were going to partner on them and then um, eventually didn't. So the guy ended up buying the cars themselves and then leasing them to the railroad just so he could he could get the beef back east. That's because that's where the demand was because that's where all the factories were. And <clears throat> it, uh, yeah, as, as the more mechanized it became and automated uh, to a degree, the the less need for for highly skilled labor um and and so but the the increase for just pure laborers um was kind of through the roof particularly depending on the time of the year both cattle there's always like surges in 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 population and then there's that you know it's it's very seasonal so in the, in the down times you'd have a, a bunch of laid off workers or your hours would go way down. Therefore your, your, your paycheck would go way down. And it was, um, it was, it was a pretty volatile industry. Um, and always, always has been, but, um, we'll, we'll look into like some of the guys that, that, uh, that built the, built the early, packing industry some of the ways they they did it some of the like some of the good things they did and then a ton of the bad stuff and uh <clears throat> i think it's uh i think it's a fascinating look and it kind of it, it's one of the one of the few industries i think like no matter how much automation you have you're like you're not gonna automate a cow i mean well i take that back they're trying to automate a cow or at least a cut of a cow and whether that takes off and people actually eat that shit i don't know but um until then you're always going to have to have a live animal um <laughs> as your starting point so it's it's one of one of those industries you're not going to completely automate uh you know just fully automated i don't think and um it's uh with that you you, you deal with uh with large amounts of of labor and with that becomes uh a whole different deal and uh it's uh it's just a really interesting story throughout time of that that struggle between capital and labor and uh <coughs> urban and rural and and then just the sheer fact that regardless of uh, you know it's capital labor urban uh rural rich poor Every one of them motherfuckers got to eat and uh, somebody's got to provide it. So it's uh, whether we like them or not, those packers are uh, they're needed, but also fuck them. They're kind of they're kind of some assholes, too. So it's uh, it's uh, I think that's kind of my, my view of, of this whole packing industry. Well, boy, we need them. They've done some cool shit, but also fuck them. They're a bunch of assholes. And, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll go further into depth on, on that particular notion, uh, later, but, uh, I think we'll wrap it up there. We're right at an hour. So, um, appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, if you'd like to help support the show, please go to patreon.com slash burning daylight. You can subscribe there and, uh, you get some bonus episodes, you get ad free episodes and, uh, and you also get bonus segments, uh, particularly if it's post politics, we go, we always do an extra, extra little bit just for the Patreon folks. And, 
and we we go hard in the paint so um please go sign up and uh share this stuff around if you would if you enjoy what i do um i'd like to i'd like to grow the audience some i'd like to be able to make a, a little bit of money at it and make this kind of a, a full-time thing and i'm working on it we're getting there um but it all all helps with uh, if you guys share my stuff and tell tell your friends about it if you think they'd like it so um please do and uh but i more than anything thanks for thanks for listening so uh appreciate it and y'all have a great week uh now move your ass we're burning daylight Tell the job's done right